Olivia, thank you very much. Uh, not the easy, easiest passage of the Bible to read. Uh, so thank you. Johnny said that I'm going to help us understand it. I've got two hopes. No hope. I'm Bob Hope, as they say. So I'm going to pray uh, because it's God and God alone that is going to help us uh, grasp uh, his word today. So Father God, please, uh, as we come... And as we've had uh, your word read, and as we try and grapple with it so that some nugget of truth uh, may drop into our hearts and transform us or compel us to live for you, pray that you would do that from this passage in John 17. Our eyes are blind unless you open them. So we totally depend on you now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John, I'm going to give you another minute. As you hold John 17 in front of you, um, to read again. Now, a minute's not long, so um, just have another glance over. Just take one or two things and think, wow, okay. That's what we're going to be talking about today. What is John um, recording here through the prayer of Jesus? One minute. Enough of me talking and then we'll start. Great. Keep your Bibles open in John 17. Hopefully you've picked up uh, a little card. We try and do this for every series uh, that we do. Here's the series. You've seen it on the screen. Glory. John 17 uh, is the prayer of Jesus. We're in the middle of a three-week series. Welcome if you're here for the first time. You're just visiting. And we're having a look at the glory of God. What Jesus prays about the glory of of God. Last week we saw Jesus asking to be glorified by the Father so that in turn he would bring glory to the Father. And we saw that the place of the cross, the cross of the Lord Jesus, is where God has been glorified the most. The sense of where we see God in all his glory. And so now we carry on the prayer in verses 6 to 19. As Jesus takes the attention off himself, he's been praying in verses 1 to 5 about himself, and now Jesus prays about his disciples. If Jesus has prayed for the glory of God to be revealed, and it has been in the cross, in verses 3 and 4, now Jesus is, being, is praying for his disciples, and yet... 
How and where is God to be glorified now? We've seen at the cross the pinnacle of God's glory. And now he spends, or John records it, in verses 6 to 19. What's that? 15 verses. John records Jesus praying for his disciples. Why so big? Why such a chunk of Jesus' prayer? If God is to be glorified, as we looked at last week, where do we see it now? And why does Jesus take such a long time praying for his disciples? I don't know about you as I look around the world. I see things, I watch things, I hear things and think, to God be the glory. I think God is glorified in those moments. Perhaps in great architecture. If you ever had the privilege uh, of going to St. Paul's Cathedral and you look at that building and you think Christopher Wren, legend. God be the glory through a structure. What about great musical masterpieces? Beethoven's Sixth Symphony or Handel's Messiah. And you think, is God glorified there? Great pieces of art. What about great sporting achievements? Is it Jordan Lamar? Lamar? Three tries for Ireland yesterday. The age of 21. What about Owen Farrell's last minute tackle? Glory to God. Is this where we see God glorified? In great political movements. We've seen in 1 to 5, it's at the cross. But what about now? What about in verses 6 to 19? See what John records Jesus praying. We see God's glory in a bunch of ready and rough fishermen, ordinary guys, through what they've become in Jesus and how they will live until Jesus returns. Remember last week, if you were here, We're in the upper room, chapters 13 to 17 of John. The upper room discourse. Jesus is with his disciples. He's already served them by washing their feet. You might be familiar uh, with that. And he's talked about his death. And in chapter 18, verse 1, the page after, when he is finished praying this prayer, Jesus, he left his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And there his disciples went into it. Kerry and I had the privilege of being in Jerusalem. So if the upper room is within the city walls, then they left Jerusalem and crossed a small valley, like a stone's throw, and into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is betrayed and then trialed, and to his death. It's right on the eve of his trial and then execution. And this is Jesus' prayer. For we know the Lord's prayer... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Perhaps this is a better use of the Lord's Prayer. For Jesus was modelling prayer to his disciples. But here we see the Lord Jesus praying. So perhaps if anyone says, let's pray the Lord's Prayer, may your mind go to John 17. Here is the Lord Jesus and we see his ultimate prayer before he goes to his death. How do we know Jesus is praying for his disciples? Just as words of intro before we dive in uh, to the passage. Look at verse 9 quickly. I pray for them, 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. And verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, Judas, as we'll see a bit later on. Here's Jesus, 15 verses, praying for his disciples. And what is the reason for his prayer? Let's get this. The reason for Jesus' prayer isn't that his disciples would be great, isn't that the disciples uh, would do legendary things, go on to take what Jesus has already started. It's not on missiological reasons, mission for the disciples. It's on a theological reason that Jesus prays for them. For they are yours, Jesus praying to his Father. And they will bring you glory. See in verse 10, Jesus says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. He's praying to the Father. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. He's referencing the disciples that he has received glory through his disciples and how that's what we find out. Last word of intro. If we're looking today at the glory of God being seen in his people, especially the disciples, those who are his, let's just understand again what is glory. That word glory, what is it? And here's a, a biblical understanding of the word glory. It's God's infinite beauty and eternal work. Glory summed up. Infinite beauty and eternal worth. And Jesus has prayed by saying, his disciples show the infinite beauty and eternal worth of God. They have brought him glory. So there are two things uh, we're going to look at. As the disciples bring glory to God, through Jesus. Verses 6 to 10, we understand the position of the disciples. We understand what has brought them to this place. And then verses 11 all the way through to 19, we see Jesus praying for the protection uh, of the disciples. So verses 6 to 10, the position of his disciples. What reason can Jesus call them his disciples? Look at verse 6. It's Jesus' confident prayer that he has revealed the Father to the people that the Father has given him. Let me read verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Let me read that again so we're clear. Listen, John is not the easiest of guys to understand. If you want kind of logical flow, go to Paul. But John is rich. He's rich in theology. I've got to get my head around this. I have revealed you, remember Jesus praying to the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Look, here it is. Here's the connection between the disciples being solely chosen by the Father, plucked out. 
They're rough and ready fishermen. Have they impressed Jesus in any way? No. The Father has called them, has given them to the Lord Jesus, and they've responded by being obedient to his word. They've trusted. Look at verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. I've chosen, I've given, I've revealed constantly. And then what the disciples do? They accept, they trust, they receive. The gift of the disciples, the Father has already given to Jesus. It wasn't that they were intrinsically good, that they deserved a position to be a part of Jesus' team. Jesus has plucked them out of the wicked world. See the word world here always in John. The word world world always refers to an unbelieving world, those who do not believe. And so here we have the disciples. God has chosen, given them to the Lord Jesus, and now they've obeyed his word as he has revealed himself to them. Well, have the disciples really understood the true identity and mission of Jesus? That's hard for me to grasp. You see, it's still a work of God in the heart of the disciples. You see that every single one of them deserts him just a few hours later. And this is the prayer of Jesus. This is head-scratching stuff. They all desert him. Because the time is coming. John is not trying to insist that the disciples have understood and obeyed all his teachings by recording this. Far from it, as we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. But we see the disciples being his, chosen from God, and now they've obeyed the word of God. See here at Town Church, See, 10 months ago when we started, the big thing was to say, right, how are we going to form a church that was rooted in God's word? You see how God's word is pivotal in this? As God opens the eyes of those who are blind, as God moves in the hard heart, it's God's word. Johnny, myself, Si, and any other person, Gareth, that stood up here, is just trying to help us understand God's word because it's God's word that does the work in the heart of those who don't believe and those who continue to believe. It's him. If you accept that today, do you accept that it's God's word that brings you as the father uh, has given you to Jesus, but it it brings you to the point of realisation, understanding? what the Lord Jesus has done. Would this be great comfort to you today? I'm not here because of goodness, because of my status. Hopefully you constantly hear this. I'm only good because I've, I've accepted his word and it's him that makes me good. His word that speaks of his work of forgiveness, 
to bring us right with the Father. And you'll see next week, as we see how we are to glorify God, as we bring glory to God, here's the linchpin, verses 6 to 19. The disciples are the linchpin. Get this. It is through the word of God that we come to accept the truth about Jesus. But who took the word of God out? Through the disciples. Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. The last commission. The great commission for the disciples. Go, go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Get my word open. Get the scriptures open. See people respond to my word. That's the task of the minister. That's the task of the preacher. God's word. How does your heart respond? God's at work. How are you going to respond? How am I going to respond today? You see, God is glorified by the position of his disciples. All his work. And responded through listening to the Lord Jesus and his words about the Father. Lots more to be said, of course, about verses 6 to 10. But here's the position of the disciples, chosen by God, given to the Lord Jesus, and respond in obedience. Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus today? Have you responded to his word? Let's go on. Verses 11 to 19. Look how Jesus prays for the protection of his disciples in three ways. Look, the first, that God would protect them by his name. Verse 11 and 12. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is about to return to the Father. We know that. Thus, he's leaving the world, his disciples behind, and he asks his Holy Father. You see here, there's a a change. Holy Father. To establish the root of all holiness for, for Jesus. And then the disciples, it comes from the Father. And he says, Father, now protect them by the power of your name. The name that Jesus was given for the purpose of, of unity. Only through the name of the Father will people be gathered underneath Jesus. Under the name of Jesus. What's in this name? Protected by your name. I was reminded on a long distance journey recently. I think the fifth movie came on. The Lion King. Favourite, to be fair. It's a good movie. Remember when Simba goes into uh, the pit? He's a young Simba, little Simba. And he goes into the pit of the hyenas. uh, And they challenge him for being on their land. And Simba says, you can't do anything to me. I'm the king's son. With utter confidence. I'm the king's son. 
And then later on, the hyenas talk about the name Mufasa and they say it in funny ways. Mufasa, Mufasa. Oh, say it again. It gives me the shivers. It's powerful. Here's Simba. He goes in with full confidence in the name of his father. Now, he's mistaken in the movie because the hyenas chase him out, of course. But it's likewise with Jesus. Forget that bit. Every analogy falls down. Of course it does. But it's like that. Jesus saying, I come in the father's name and it has all authority, all authority to protect in every way, in every sense, to protect you, those who are going to desert me. You will be my disciples and you will go into every corner of the earth to proclaim my name. Hey, listen, let's just deal with verse 12 quickly. Judas, he has to be excluded from Jesus' prayer. Otherwise, we'd have to conclude that God and the Lord Jesus have failed in keeping Judas. He is an exceptional case. Look. Look at his name. The word Judas, the name Judas, is the one doomed to destruction. And there we see the scripture reference. Judas excluded from the prayer of the Lord Jesus. Hard to get our heads round, um, but hold it. Hold it because it's crucially important when we think of the sovereign God uh, of all and in salvation. Hey, here we go. Second point of protected. Look, protected for a full measure of joy. Protected by the name of the Father. And look, secondly, protected for a full measure of joy. Verse 13, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Look, he's soon to leave them. And he says, now, Father, protect them, that they may have the full measure of joy within them. And what is true joy? How do we experience true joy? The disciples later desert him. We've talked about that. And later, every single one of them is martyred. Joy? A life of joy? Paul describes true joy as a true revelation of God through Jesus, through his word. True joy. There's going to be inevitable hatred that is bought from others because they don't have the word, because they are of the world. Hatred to the disciples. What does it look like to have a true joy in Jesus? Do I grasp what he's done for me as the disciples were prayed for? Grasped the word, understood the word, treasured the word, placed authority and every opinion on the word and now go in every circumstance with joy. It's just a huge challenge, isn't it? With joy in every circumstance. To look each other in the eye, as I'm sure we're doing in growth groups, small groups, home groups and talk about the joy that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus against the hardship of life, family life, relationships, job, tough 
in my workplace because they know I'm a Christian, tough at school because they know I'm a Christian. Jesus prays for the disciples to have joy, true joy, utter joy. And then look lastly, protected to be set apart in this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Think of Daniel now. Remember Daniel, not taken out of his circumstance, but called to be different, set apart. It's the word sanctify later on, to be set apart, to be different. Remain in the world as witnesses to the truth. Not controlled by the world or confused by it. And you see the Christians, the early Christians reading John's account would have certainly stopped to have taken heed of this prayer. Spiritual and physical persecution rampant. The Christian's walk from the very first century onward has been inherently perilous. Every century. No safety from persecution or disengagement from the world. I receive this every month. Page 11. I go there and I try and get my head around the persecuted world. Here's three stories of 20 on this page. Kenya. Al-Shababab terrorists murdered two Kenyan Christians travelling on a bus on the 14th September after they refused to recite the Shahada Islamic Creed. The terrorists flagged down a bus travelling to the city of Garissa, separated three non-local passengers, asked them to recite verses from the Quran. Two passengers who refused, a boy called Joshua who assisted the bus driver and a labourer from the town of Masalani were tied up and killed. Nigeria. A pastor was one of at least 27 Christians who lost their lives following attacks carried out by Fulani militants on five predominantly Christian communities in northeast Nigeria from the 13th to the 16th of September. Many drowned as they attempted to escape by the local river. On hearing sounds of gunfire, many were scared and fled into the bush or drowned attempting to escape by the river as they could not swim. Ten people are still missing. Pakistan, Christians beaten. The only Christian family in the area were beaten and saw their house set on fire on 20th of September and told they would be killed if they returned. The family, an elderly couple with their four sons, daughter-in-law and 11 grandchildren are now sheltering in a tent. They say they were targeted by their Muslim neighbours and that they were assaulted by them six months ago, decided at the time not to press charges, hoping there would be no reoccurrence. Story after story after story. You see what Jesus prays for the disciples? Not that the Father would protect them from spiritual, physical, mental abuse, but he'd protect them from the evil one. That in those moments they could give up. That in those moments that Satan could win because they throw in a towel and say, enough is enough, I can't do it. For the boy Joshua on the bus, Jesus prays similarly through the disciples as he prays for them that they wouldn't give in to the evil one, not that he would be saved from that situation, but he wasn't. He was killed, tied up and killed.
at verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. Your word is the truth, the truth in the heart of every believer. You sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. I've set myself apart that they too may be truly sanctified. The work of the Lord Jesus. Enabling them. The work of the disciple to be set apart. Not to give in to the evil one. And yet to know that there will be persecution. What does it look like to glorify God now? Is it through majestic buildings? Could be, but Jesus doesn't focus attention there. Is it through sports stars? Well, they bring glory to God because every gift and ability is from God. But it's not there that we see Jesus' prayer that will bring glory to God, the Father. Political movements, no. It's through a bunch of ragtag guys. God the Father has given to the Lord Jesus and said, now, through my word, they'll believe. They then will take the world to every part of the world. And so you and I sit here in Bicester on a dark, cold November evening. Why am I here? On one level, because God on his, in his wonderful grace has opened my eyes to the truth. He says, Lanks, do it, 22 years old. Here it is. See what I've done for you. It's true. And on the other hand, I'm here because the disciples were faithful. And they took the word of God. And they passed it on to someone else as in a, a, a relay. They, they took the baton of the gospel and they passed it on to someone else. Who passed it on to someone else. Who passed it on to someone else. Who later on down the line, and my grandmother prayed every single day for my salvation. And my mate Andy Fearon tirelessly went for me. Wanted to open the Bible with me. In a pub we had a pint and he got the Bible open. We looked at Mark's Gospel. And God, in his wonderful grace and sovereign plan, opened my eyes to the truth as I responded to his word. So next week we'll look how we glorify God, specifically as a church. What it looks like for believers who listen to the disciples' teaching. Here in Bester. How are we going to respond to his word and bring glory to God? But for now, for today, if you are in Christ, know the journey. It will never be smooth. It will be rocky all the way. And here's the song we're going to sing. He will hold me fast. It's him. It's his job now. He will hold me. It's not my job to give it my all and to try my hardest. It's my job to keep trusting that he will hold me to the very last day. Lest I give in to the evil one. See that, verse 15? Not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you'll protect them from the evil one. Lest I give in and say no more. And then that I'll be different, set apart, sanctified to make a difference in this world. In Bista, in my neighbourhood, in the running club. That people may see and savour the Lord Jesus and trust him for life and for death. Why don't we just take a moment, I'm going to ask Chris to come uh, and in a minute we'll, uh, we'll stand if we're able and we will sing.
about him holding us fast. So much in there. Let's take a moment or two to capture thoughts, things that have been pressing uh, in your heart. Just take stock for a moment. And when Chris calls us to stand, we will.